action and motives and methods. But somebody in here needs to understand exactly that. Amen. Amen. I want to give honor to God who is worthy for this humbling experience to stand before you today. And to Pastor Lomax and his absent, the great shepherd of our house, and Pastor Taylor, my mentor, to these ministers who've been praying mightily, I can tell, hallelujah. And to my family, my children who are here, my husband in his absence, to you, my fountain family and friends, the Lord is in this place. Hallelujah. 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 If you would turn with me, if you can, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 30 through 34. I would certainly appreciate it if you would stand while we read the word of the Lord. If you don't have your Bibles, it's on the screens. Hallelujah. Our scripture says, starting in verse 30, and as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I die every day. I mean that, brothers, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Let us pray. Gracious God, you are worthy, God, and we thank you for your presence today, God. Now move mightily in the hearts and minds of your children, Lord God, working on the inside, Lord God, so that the world can see us on the outside and see you, Lord God, so that we would decrease so you can increase, O oh God. Father, I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, my Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. And you may be seated in the presence of a mighty God. Amen. Well, as Brother Levi alluded to earlier, on this last Monday, April the 15th at approximately 2.50 p.m., the Boston Marathon and its 100 years of history was changed forever. The bombings left three dead, hundreds scarred, and thousands more like us bewildered. In one of the earliest briefings after the attack, President Barack Obama said these words, we will find out who did this and why they did this. It was clear by the pictures and the pandemonium on the TV what had been done, but the question of why remained. What motivated the action? Now, believe it or not, although we're prayerfully not throwing real bombs at around at innocent people, people are looking at us, the church, at Christians, and wondering about our motives, why we do the things we do, and our methods, the what and the how we do the things we do. But because, my brothers and sisters, we don't want to misrepresent Christ and give him a bad name and do something that doesn't align with our profession of faith and his word, we need to examine our motives and our methods periodically. The Christian life depends on it. And so the question we have to ask ourselves and answer ourselves today is do the methods of my
my life match the motives of my life? And who or what do they point to? It's there at the crossroads of motives and methods that we find the Apostle Paul in our scripture addressing problems that had arisen in the Corinthian church, but also answering questions from the church folk in an effort to get them to understand that it's important to live out what they have confessed that they believed. Somebody missed that. Paul's trying to get the church folk, people like us up in here, to understand how important it is to live out what we've confessed that we believe. In other words, to walk the walk. Amen. And so in dealing with the questions he's been asked, Paul answers a question with a question. In verse 30, he says of our text, as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I like how the Message Bible makes it clear and simple. It says, and why do you think I keep risking my neck in this dangerous work? In other words, why do you think I'm doing what I'm doing? You see, back in Paul's day, things were very dangerous for the early believers and teachers of Jesus Christ, with the very real threat of death every day. And people knew that. But since he was asked the question, Paul decided to oblige the saints and gladly give an account of his ministry's work, just like we'll have to do one day. Paul had to remind them that the reason I do what I do is not for fortune and fame, but rather, Paul says, I risk my life every day because I've got my own testimony about what Jesus did for me. Paul says, look, I haven't been saved my whole life doing good and preaching the word. Oh, no, you know me as Paul, but back in the day I had a different name. I had a different look. My name used to be Saul, and people used to cringe at my very name. You see, back in the day in the biographical sketch of Paul found in Acts 7 and 8, Paul says, I used to do things a little bit differently. Some of us might remember when we did things a little differently. But Paul said, I didn't used to act right. In fact, every chance I got, I was doing wrong in the sight of God. I was out for myself, let me be clear, fighting against the faith, standing there watching disciples who were stoned to death only for lifting up my name. But one day, Paul says, knee deep in my sin, on the way to do more dirt, as if the dirt I hadn't done was enough. I went on the road called the Damascus Road, and I had an encounter that I can't exactly explain, but it changed my life forever. I don't know about you, but I know Paul was on a road just like I was on a road one day. And Paul said, one minute, I was high on my horse. I was high up on the leadership ladder. I was high and mighty in my own mind. But all of a sudden, a flash of light came down from heaven, and I don't know what hit me, Brother Ray, but something knocked me off my horse and threw me down low and humbled me before the presence of the living God. Hallelujah. And while I was down there on my knees, I didn't know what to do. But all of a sudden, a voice from heaven came and said out to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? In other words, he was saying, why, Saul, are you doing what you're doing? And for three days and for three nights, I was physically blind. I couldn't see. I didn't know what else to do. I found myself in my own personal grave, in my own dark tomb. Can anybody identify with Saul? But something started happening on the inside of me, 
sister Cynthia. Something started happening on the inside of me, Paul said. I can't explain it, Sister Marie, but I started fasting, and I started praying, and I prayed with purpose, and I prayed with persistence, and I fasted so that I could focus. And when I got back to my senses, I called upon the name of the Lord. I called on Jesus. Jesus. I said, Jesus, can you help me? The same Jesus I was misusing and abusing. I called on the name of Jesus. The same Jesus I had been denying. I called on the name of Jesus. The same Jesus whose name is above every name. And at the sound of that name, that every knee shall bow. And every knee's got to confess. I called upon the name of the Lord. And you know what? Even though I didn't deserve it even though I didn't deserve it. Because I called upon the righteous name of the Lord, God heard my cry. And he answered my prayers, and he sent a man named Ananias to minister to me. And Ananias told me, he said, Jesus, that you met on the road. Jesus that got a hold of you on the inside. Jesus who died to save you from yourself and from your sins. He told me to tell you that he's not finished with you yet. He said you should be dead and gone, but you're not because he's not finished with you yet. Anybody here been there? You should be stuck in a grave, but he's not finished with you yet. Hallelujah. See, I know the pastor preached, and I believe Easter really is national get out of a whole day. But I'm here to tell somebody today that the resurrection is also God's not finished with you yet season. Hallelujah. God is not finished with you yet. So the world might write you off, but God's not finished with you yet. So Paul says, when Ananias touched my heart, he touched my, he touched my eyes. Jesus touched my heart. And the scales fell off of my eyes. And a change had come over me. And I could hear Paul shouting and singing, praise team. I looked at my hands, and they looked new. And I looked at my feet, and they did too. And I could see Paul saying to somebody, I once was lost, but now I'm found, and I really was blind. But now I see, and what I'm seeing is the Savior. So I just have to tell somebody like Paul tells it, I don't know why you do what you do. And I don't know why you think I do what I do. But I've got a personal connection to Christ. So when I look back over my life and all that he's done for me, I can't help but preach and preach inside in spite of problems that I have in my life. I can't help but teach, Brother Ray, and teach the truth. I can't help but pray and pray without ceasing. And I can't help but serve and serve people like I'm serving the Savior. I can't help do what I do because my motivation is Jesus. Jesus. And just like that was Paul motiva Paul's motivation for your worksheets, our motivation should stand up to questioning. We ought to be able to give an account of who we're living for and what's driving us on the inside. So when people ask you, Sister Kathy, why are you doing kindness? Why are you washing them cars for free on the outside and then going back and washing on the inside? They didn't give you no money. Why are you giving all your money to the church and you ain't hardly got none yourself? Why to myself are you going back to the hydro student ministry and serving with them crazy teenagers? Weren't you already there? Hallelujah. 
Why are you feeding the hungry and clothing the naked? Why are you going to the prisons, Minister Bobby, and visiting the sick and the shut-in? Don't you got something else you need to do? Why are you so nice to them people who stabbed you in the back? Ain't you done with them yet? Why are you? Why are you? Why are you, the Lord says? Well, you can say, and you can mean it, I do it all for Christ. Because when I was dead in my sin, when I should have been caught on the cross, hallelujah, caught on the cross for what I'd done, Jesus died and he rose again just for me. I didn't deserve it, but he did it. So I live for Christ. And I'm going to tell you, my brothers and sisters, that's not easy. But it starts with a personal commitment to know him and to know him for yourself. Grandmama and mama and might know him, but you got to know him for yourself. Because in order for your motivations to be pure and stand up to the wear and tear of this life and the temptations of these times and the scrutiny of an unscrupulous world, our hearts must first be in the right place. And we need Jesus for that. That's why David penned Psalm 51 and 10. He said, create in me, you know that scripture, a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit in me. Because as mere men and women, we fall short of the glory of God because we sin. We become motivated and driven by money, power, respect, pride, greed, jealousy, anger, hurt, despair, revenge, and any and everything instead of by our love for Jesus. But in our text, Paul gives us a remedy, hallelujah, for wrong motives and wrong methods to help us out. He says simply, I die daily. I die daily. Sounds so simple. We know it's hard, but Paul says I got to die daily because in order to get to the point where my life is Christ-centered, Christ-driven, Christ-directed, facing all of the challenges and all of the people and places and things that would misdirect and mistreat me, I got to die daily. I've got to get out of the way so God can do his thing. Some of us, me included, find it easier to use the platform of Jesus' sacrifice to point out the sins of other people, to point out their shortcoming. But I'm here to tell you today, Fountain family, dying to self is an inside job. You must die for yourself and die to yourself. That's an inside job. Nobody can't do that for you. And hallelujah, you can't do it for nobody else because I tell you, you don't want me doing that for you. Woo, I got too much stuff. I don't know exactly what it was for Paul. He says in another one of his letters, I had some thorns in my side. And he asked God to take them away. But I don't know what exactly it was for him. And I don't know exactly what it was for you. But if I could just be honest for a minute, because I got some stuff God told me to get off my chest, hallelujah. For me, I got to die daily to the words that come out of my mouth. Ooh, although I try not to use them intentionally to hurt people, sometimes they do. And if that's you, I got to say I'm sorry. I got to say, please forgive me. Sometimes they don't slip out. I let them out the gate, Minister Massey. Sometimes I push them out, kicking and screaming, going on over there and tell so-and-so somewhat. Sometimes I need you to tell them. I know I'm wired differently. I'm more analytical and methodical and cut and dry in my profession as a physician. But because Christ was crucified for me, as a Christian first, not as a doctor, but as a Christian first, even in situations where I may be right, 
Even in situations where I got a valid point, hallelujah. Even in situations where I may have a better suggestion because of what Christ did, I got to have mercy instead of my way. I got to have compassion instead of critique. So I die to my mouth every day, and I'm not all the way there yet, hallelujah. But I remember a few weeks ago, my pastor preached, sanctification is a progressive work. So I'm better than I was before. I'm not where I'm supposed to be, but I'm not where I used to be. I'm on the path, hallelujah. And I'm on a path that points to Jesus, hallelujah. So I don't know what needs to die in you so that you can glorify God. But any stuff that keeps you from God, wrong attitudes, wrong mindset, wrong stuff in your heart must die in order for us to get closer to God. That's why dying to self is a superior method. It ultimately points the way to the Savior. We humble ourselves and decrease so that Christ can increase and God be glorified. You see, dying to self put the needs of others first, even when it hurts, even when it's dangerous, even when it doesn't make no sense, even when the people you're trying to help, hallelujah, plot and plan against you, hallelujah. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. Y'all remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, faced with the cross, Jesus cried out to the Father, and he confessed through prayer, Sister Marie, Father, I'm wrestling with this dying thing. It ain't going to be easy. I know you assigned it to me, but can you take the cup of crucifixion from me? And three times the Bible records Jesus prayed. He prayed so hard that the sweat became blood running down his face. That's some prayer. But in the midst of his crying out, and let me just say, some of us need to cry out more to God and stop messing and talking around and talking to and relying on folks who can't even help us because they can't help themselves. Hallelujah. In the midst of him laying at the altar at the feet of the Father, he remembered who God was and who God is. And I believe some words started coming into his heart and into his mind. Words like his forefather David wrote, I will lift mine eyes up unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So as he remembered who God was and who God is, he remembered what and why he was sent to do his job, and he surrendered his will to the God's perfect will when he said, not my will, but thy will be done. And because Jesus gave himself away, emptied himself out for others and for us, God was able to fill him up with power. That's what resurrection does for us. We die to self, but we live to receive God's power in return. That's superior. We die to self so others can be served. And we serve them well because instead of serving for selfish gain, we serve selflessly. That's superior. We die to self so Jesus can help us walk out of the grave and perform the miracles in our lives we need and in the lives of others. Getting blessings we don't deserve. Pressed down, shaking together, and running over. Superior. We die to self so that our motives and our methods can align with the word of God so we can fight the good fight and point the way to Christ. You see, that's why Paul reminds us in verse 32 of the text. 
If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus, which by the way, if you go back and read in Acts 18 and 19, those wild beasts are the people that Paul was actually ministering to in, in, in Ephesus who then turned around and were writing against him. So Paul says, if I fought the wild beasts in, Eph in Ephesus, why, for human reasons, then what have I gained? Paul says, look, I'm not doing this work that I do for human reasons, not for personal gain or to impress y'all people up in here. Paul says, no, we're doing God's work not for them because human reasons and humans, they fail you from time to time. Human people, they praise you in your face, pat you on your back, then sucker punch you when you're not looking in the church. In the church. So that's why Paul said, no, are y'all crazy? I ain't doing this for the people, power, and position. Shoot. If that was the case, we can go out today, sneak off, blow the budget. Pastor Lomax and Pastor Taylor, they not here. Let's put on our eat, drink, and be merry t-shirts. Throw a big party and call it a day because human stuff is temporary. Here today and gone tomorrow. But since I know that Jesus paid the price for me and laid down his life for me and called me to be a co-laborer in his kingdom, Paul says, I have to lay it all on the line for him. Now, I know your worksheet on point three says, if God raised Jesus from the dead. But I need you to insert two little words behind that if. You need to insert, I believe. Insert two words, I believe. See, because we know that Jesus was raised from the dead. The question is, do you believe it and will you act like it? Hallelujah. You see, laying it on the line will cost you something. It's going to cost you some time. It's going to cost you some talent. It's going to cost you some treasure. And temporarily, it's going to cost you your, your sanity. It's going to cost you something, y'all. And I can't say exactly what it's going to cost you, but it costs Jesus his life. What will you sacrifice? See, you've got to understand, like Paul understood, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but our fight is an eternal fight. It's against the rulers of the air and the authorities and the powers of darkness in the dark world and the spiritual forces of evil. That's why the church needs to get serious and not be sorry. Amen. Hallelujah. See, Satan can use some people on your job, and he can use the family under your roof, and he can use some crazy people in Boston to throw some bombs, and he can even use some fakers in the church. But don't lose sight, Paul says. Your enemy really ain't them. Your enemy really ain't them. That's not who you're fighting, hallelujah. That ain't who you're fighting, hallelujah. You are up against the one who comes to kill you to steal from you, and to destroy you. So I don't know what you're fighting for. But Paul says we got to hold up the blood-stained banner, and we got to hold it up until we die. That's why our motives and our methods matter so much to God. Paul said don't get caught up in all this petty small stuff of life. We got some bigger fish to fry. People are dying. People are dying. People are dying and they're on their way to hell. Now, I know we don't talk about hell like we used to up in the new normal churches of today. But I came to tell you, Nene going to die one day. 
Everybody going to die today. But the gospel of Jesus Christ and the God that I serve and you serve is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so the primary mission of the church and the fountain of new life church is still saving souls. So we need to point the way to Jesus. To Jesus. Paul makes it plain in Colossians 3, starting in verse 9 and 10 and going down to verse 17. He says, since you've taken off your old self, hallelujah, that's the crucifixion. You died to sin. You died to self. You died to some stuff that definitely needed to go. And you have put on your new self. Hallelujah. That's resurrection. You have made a decision to commit to holy change and rise up with power. Then whatever you do, hallelujah. Don't talk about what I got to do, but whatever you do, whether in word, so watch your mouth too like I'm watching mine. And indeed, watch the way you live your life. Do it all in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. And that's why when you greet people from your frontline post or your parking lot post or your ushers post or your guest welcome post, you got to lay it all on the line. And you got to greet them with the love of Christ in your heart so that your actions, how you speak, how you smile, how you talk, how you stand can't help but speak God's love because somebody's life is depending on it. So when you sing with the praise team and dance with the dance team and counsel with the decision counselors and serve with Hydro in the spring and any other ministry that God assigns you to, we don't perform, but we purposely minister with the love of Jesus in our hearts and the power of God to transform lives. Hallelujah. Laying on the line is where the motivation of Christ in us becomes evident in the methods we use all around us so that others may become disciples of Jesus Christ. You see, they will see Christ crucified and Christ resurrected in our lives every day, and then they'll want to know about the Jesus we serve. Hallelujah. But in the midst of all of that, Paul warns us, while you're doing good and living your transformed life, don't get it twisted. Don't be fooled, he said in verse 33. Bad company corrupts good character. In other words, bad companions make a good person bad. Watch out who you hang out with. Amen. Watch out who your kids hang out with. Amen. I'm old school. Who are they? Who are their parents? And what they doing over there? Amen. Because in our lives, just like Paul's day, we come across some people who do us more harm than good. Sometimes on purpose, ready to take us out. Sometimes by default, because we've let them hang around too close, too long. It's like having a bag of apples. I love fruit. But it's like having a bag of apples. And if one of those apples gets rotten and you don't remove it, that rottenness going to spread, and after a while, all the apples will be rotten. That's how it is with sin and sinful people. It starts one place. You might not even see it. But like a bad infection, it spreads throughout the body. 
causing widespread death and destruction. You got to get it out. Amen. So Paul's final instruction to us today in this passage, he says, don't waste the grace of God on poor choices. Don't waste your faith on poor decisions and poor lifestyle, poor choices and poor companions. Don't minimize the cross by choosing to remain dead in your sins. Make a change for Christ and make it today. You see, in the church, professing faith in God, some of us with our WWJD paraphernalia on, but acting totally uncharacteristic of Christ like we Satan's seed, the people who aren't saved, some of them our own children, say, well, if that's what the saved folk act like, why be saved? Hallelujah. You see, misaligned motives and methods mess people up. Mess them up. Yeah, it does. Pushes them right away from the cross instead of drawing them closer to them, to God. See, G Judas Iscariot, he was a perfect example of this. He walked around with Jesus, hung out with Jesus. He hung out with the power but had no power himself. Got led astray by 30 pieces of silver. Wrong motive. He hung around corrupt religious people who wanted to see Jesus destroyed. Witness weakened. He sold out the Savior. Wrong method. Don't be like Judas, selling out Jesus by making poor choices. Paul teaches us, be sold out, not a sellout. Be sold out, not a sellout. You see, Paul makes it plain. He said, come back to your senses. Stop acting like you don't know what the Lord has done for you. Don't waste God's goodness and his grace. But do the right thing even when it's unpopular, even when it's untimely, because your eternal future and the future of others depends on it. Being sold out means every day I'm going to act like Jesus made a decision just for me. He didn't wait till I got everything all right, but he found me in my mess. And while I was still a sinner, he died for me. You see, he decided to come off of a throne in glory. He didn't have to do that. But he squeezed his way through Mary's birth canal. And he walked on this earth for 33 years, being abused by the same people like me and like you. He was sent to save. So I'm going to act like he died on the cross for me and that it was the blood that saved me. And I'm going to act like he went into the grave on a Friday. But he didn't rest and he didn't sit still. That he took a little trip and packed his bag and went on down to hell and fought a good fight with Satan so he could bring back all the stuff that the devil had stolen from me. And I'm going to act like I know he didn't wander off and get distracted about his mission like some of us do and forget about me. But he came back to the tomb. So when God rolled away the stone, hallelujah, and said, come on out, Jesus. Come on out of there, Jesus. I'm not finished with you yet. There's some more people need to see you. There's some more people who need to be sanctified by you. I'm going to act like early on a Sunday morning. He rose, hallelujah, with all power in his hand. Not just some old boy kind of power. Not some of me and you kind of power, but with wonder, working power. Power to save me. Power to sanctify 
by me. Power to set me free. Power to save you. Power to sanctify you. Power to set you free. I believe it in my heart, so I'm going to act like it. I serve a risen Savior who allows me with my raggedy self and my messy mouth, hallelujah, to be forgiven and to be taught the right way instead of being cut off. Hallelujah. I'm going to act like I serve a risen Savior who said, rise up from the dead places in your life and rise up with my power. So I don't know what you came to do. I don't know what your motive for your Christian living is. I don't know all of your business, but here's a little taste of what the Lord did for me. See, 40 years ago, he saved my soul. He called and I answered. And about 20 years later, I went back to my mess, but he called me again, hallelujah. Found me where I was, washed me white as snow with the blood, hallelujah. Nine years ago, he saved my marriage. I got an eight-year-old daughter right over there. That's my proof. Hallelujah. Three years ago, he saved me from colon cancer. Cancer ain't got nothing on Christ. Hallelujah. And if that wasn't enough, three days ago, hallelujah, three days ago, he blessed me some more exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I could ask or think. He gave me a job, y'all. A job I'm not exactly qualified for. A job that on paper ain't supposed to be mine. But hallelujah, I'm qualified by Christ. Hallelujah. So, I don't know what y'all gonna do. I don't know. I don't know what you're doing and why you're doing it. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm making my decision for Jesus. For Jesus, for Jesus, my motives, my methods, they matter to God. Your motives, your methods, they matter to God. Somebody's life, somebody's life, somebody's life depends on it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Christ 
needing to know Jesus for yourself as your Lord and your Savior. That's the first step. But perhaps you already know Jesus in the pardon of your sin, but you slipped or got tripped. And your motives and your methods aren't aligning with the will of the Father. And you need to rededicate your life. Perhaps you need a church home like the Fountain of New Life where you can give yourself away so God can use you to serve faithfully because you're motivated by a risen Savior so that someone else can get to know him too. Perhaps today some of you, like me, can be transparent and open and honest.